I am preaching on a subject that if you'll really sit on the edge of your seat, take notes, and really take this in, this is a subject that you don't hear a whole lot of sermons about anymore, but my belief according to scripture is that this might be the key, the key in your life to achieving true peace, fulfillment, and really advancing in your relationship with God, and it's the subject of forgiveness, and I've titled my message today, The Freedom of Forgiveness. Not necessarily the forgiveness from Jesus, although that is paramount, that's the whole purpose he came, is to forgive us of our sins, but today's message is about the call for us to forgive others of the sins they commit against us. When I was little, we had a missionary come in and speak at our church, and I'll never forget this story he told. He was a missionary um, from rural Africa, and he was saying that a few of the tribes that they had ministered to and had formed relationship with, they uh, still had this hunting technique for different species of monkeys, and this hunting technique was really interesting, and I've always remembered this story. Maybe you've heard this before, but what this technique is this. They would take a coconut or maybe fashion a box or a container, and they would cut a hole in this coconut just big enough for the monkey to slip its hand in, and they would put a little piece of meat inside of this coconut that is tied to a tree, and the monkey will slip his hand into this coconut or into this little box and grab onto the meat and form a fist. The hole was just big enough for his hand to slip in, but not big enough for him to pull the piece of meat out while forming a fist. But the monkey is not smart enough to let go of what it's holding on to, the very thing that's trapping it. It's holding on to something that will eventually lead to its demise. The, hun the hunter will come up to the monkey there's nothing tying this monkey to this trap. All this animal has to do is let go of the thing it's holding on to, and it will be free. But the hunter comes up with a club, gets gruesome, hits the monkey and kills it, and all the monkey has to do is let go. But it refuses. It refuses its own freedom. And what the Bible teaches is forgiveness is the exact same thing. Every time we refuse to forgive, we are holding on to the very thing that will lead to our spiritual demise. We want to hold on to bitterness. We want to hold on to anger. We want to hold on to unforgiveness. But what we're gonna see today is God is very straightforward about our hearts and attitudes and postures toward forgiving other people. It doesn't just damage us spiritually, it also damages us physically. And I wanna read this quote to you um, by a woman named Karen Schwartz. She's a doctor, and I wanna read this long title. She's the director of the Mood Disorders Adult Consultation Clinic at the Johns, Ho Johns Hopkins Hospital. It's the longest title in the history of humanity. Here's the quote, though. There is an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Chronic anger puts you into a fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in your heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. Isn't it interesting that this time, right now in culture, at the exact time Anger and bitterness and rage is at an all-time high. At that exact time, so is stress, anxiety, depression, and thoughts of suicide and hopelessness at the exact same time. 
And this is a doctor from, from Johns Hopkins saying these two things are tied together. Bitterness and rage and anger, all time high. It's as if people truly enjoy, enjoy watching their opponents be destroyed. Why? Because right now in this moment, this time in history, disagreement has been replaced with resentment. We can no longer just disagree and say, well, let's just agree to disagree. It doesn't happen in politics. It doesn't happen with COVID policies. It doesn't happen with even at our little league sports, our kids' sports games on the sidelines. It doesn't happen with friends. It doesn't happen in the church very often, and it needs to because it is paramount in Scripture. But the truth is this. People love feeling right, but let's be honest. They also love being wronged. We love being right, but we also love being wronged. So many people I've known over the course of me being in ministry for now for 17 years, full-time ministry, I've, I have had so many conversations with people that their identity has been tied to being wronged by someone else. They have let their personality become that. Their very existence, why they do things, it's their why behind everything. They come to church and they lurk in the shadows waiting for someone to disappoint them so they have a reason not to come back. Well, that Christian, Christians aren't supposed to behave like that. You're right, but humans just mess up sometimes. It's our job to not lurk in the shadows waiting for someone to hurt us with our identity tied to bitterness, rage, and unforgiveness. We're supposed to live light. We're supposed to live in a way where things <clears throat> bounce off of us. I have something in my throat and it's not bouncing off of me. Give me a second. <laughs> okay, I think I got it. Okay, <laughs> happens sometimes. But that's where we're at. And the truth is there is freedom in forgiveness. Um, how many of you guys have ever heard of this, this thing called spite houses? Like S-P-I-T-E, spite, I've never heard of this either. But I came across this and it has to do with forgiveness and it's hilarious. Spite homes or spite houses are houses that people build, literal houses that people build with the intention of hurting someone else. I'm like, what, this is, how is this even possible? I'll give you an example. Throw up, throw up this first slide here. This is a home in Seattle. Now, this is a, a property that is about three meters wide, and this person owned this property, and both of the people on either side of them wanted to purchase this property, this, this small little sliver of land. They wanted to purchase it to expand their homes on either side. But the person in the middle wanted to make sure the price was fair, so they went to the first neighbor, and the first neighbor only offered this person 10% of what the property was valued at because it, you can't do anything with this. I'm not gonna give you full price, 10%. So the guy got enraged, insulted that this person only offered 10%. He goes to the other neighbor and finds out both neighbors are in cahoots and this guy now only offers 8% of what the property is valued. So this man in the middle doesn't say, oh, you're, you know, they're probably right. It's a long, narrow strip. I'll just get, with what, I'll get what I can out of it. Instead of that, he goes to the city and researches every possible thing to get around every code, every building code in the city. And instead of giving them the property at 10%, he ensures that they will never be able to expand either of their homes because he builds a house that technically fits all of the codes in the city of Seattle to build a two meter wide, six foot wide home 
40 feet deep in a glorified alleyway just to get back at his neighbors. Fascinating, right? Uh, there, there's another one in the city of Boston. This one's interesting. These are real. City of Boston. This house in the middle is the Spite House, obviously, and the house connected to it, they're two brothers. Both brothers, what happened is their parents died and, and the parents left most of the inheritance to the brother that owned the building, the brick building on this side. The brother did not evenly distribute the inheritance like the brother was supposed to, so the younger brother became enraged. The older brother at every family gathering would talk about the beautiful sunlight that would come in the east window in the morning through the alleyway and from the main street, and the younger brother started to get an idea after an idea after an idea, and he took the remaining piece of, this is a true story, his inheritance, and bought that little sliver of land and met all the codes in the city and built the house up against his brother's house, covering all the windows to ensure that sunlight would never pour into his dining room. True story, spite house. I'm gonna give you one more, one more. This isn't a spite house, but it's a spite building. This is a very famous one. Anybody know this famous one? This is Macy's on 34th Street in New York City. I never knew this, but there was another area of New York City that used to be the main shopping area. And this main shopping area, Macy's was there, and they heard that Macy's was moving to this new up-and-coming area on 34th Street. So they were afraid, all these other businesses were afraid that, that if Macy's was moving, they were gonna lose all of their business. So they come and buy the corner lot of the land that Macy's was wanting to buy, thinking that if we buy that corner, the prime corner, that Macy's will change their mind and come back. But Macy's doesn't change their mind. Instead, they buy the rest of the land and build Macy's around the spite building on that corner. And instead of that, so to this day, Macy's does not own that corner, but later on in the 70s, this is fascinating, New York had all of these new billboard codes, and it allowed Macy's to buy the advertising property on the outside of the spite building. And so they've been at war now for 100 years in New York City, and Macy's has covered the spite building with all of their own advertising, and that is literally another business inside that corner, all because of spite. But the problem is, unforgiveness is just like that in our hearts. If we're not careful, our spirits will become spite houses. Our spirits will become these houses of bitterness and anger and resentment. And we're gonna be forced to live in something constructed with the very specific reason to harm someone else. But it only ends up harming us. Every single one of these spite houses was built to harm someone, but the houses are awkward, unusable, and will end up hurting the builder in every possible way for the long haul. Ephesians 4, 26 says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. This is the apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. He's writing it to us. We are the church. And what he's saying, this is in the word of God. This doesn't sound like a suggestion to me. I mean, this is very blunt. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. What Paul is saying is every 24 hours, reset your spirit. Don't go to bed still angry at your spouse, work it out. Mandy and I have been married for 11 years and to this day, we've had some arguments, we're human, I know we're pastors, we're godly, but we're human, we've had some arguments. But to this day, 11 years into marriage, we have never gone to bed without resolving an argument because I, we have to take that literally. We have to look at this and go, I can't hold on to it. 
Because if I sleep on it, you know, sleeping on it is not necessarily something we always need to do. I think with making big decisions, sure. But it's not a big decision to forgive someone. It's a biblical mandate. Forgive, release it out of your spirit before you go to sleep. But what happens is this. We become undisciplined, but we have to be disciplined, especially disciplined at forgiveness in the church. In the church. We have to be light. We, like I said earlier, we have to let things bounce off of us. We have to work through things, because here's the truth. Christian community is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of a reconciling spirit. People come to church thinking, all right, I've got conflict at work and conflict over here and conflict over there. I'm finally walking into a conflict-free arena. I've got great news and not so great news. It is not that. Why? Because the people sitting next to you are human. You are human. You make mistakes. They make mistakes. The difference is we don't handle it like the world does. We reconcile. We reconcile. Every time someone comes to me with a problem and they're holding on to something going, that person did this to me. Uh, we need to resolve it. I, my first question is always, what's the end game? Because I'll coordinate this if you wanna reconcile and not win. But the truth is we like to win and not like to reconcile because reconciling sometimes involves, most of the time, humbling ourselves to quote unquote lose the argument. Ephesians 4, 30 through 32 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, this is the key, ready? Just as Christ God forgave you. Wow, that, that's, that's the, I mean, here, here's the catch. Why can God put so much pressure on us to forgive? The unforgivable, because God forgave the unforgivable in us. If Jesus, God, the Son of God, humbled himself at a level to go to the cross for my sin, I can humble myself a little bit to forgive someone for gossiping about me, slandering me on social media, saying something about me, hurting me. We can forgive. Now, here's what I wanna be careful with, though, and I'm gonna hit some things that forgiveness isn't. So today when I'm preaching on forgiveness, I do believe that every sin against us needs to be forgiven by us. But I wanna be careful to clearly define what forgiveness is. And for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to talk about us forgiving and how it should be something that can happen decently quickly. But I want you to remember, I'm not necessarily, I do, again, believe we need to forgive all sin against us. But when I'm talking about the ease of it, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about rape. I'm not talking about these deep issues that it takes a little bit longer to work through the natural consequences or natural reactions we have to those, but the spiritual side of it still needs to be forgiven because your unforgiveness is not hurting them. It is only hurting you. It's the image of that trapped monkey with that coconut holding on to something that is going to end up hurting them. So here's what forgiveness isn't, okay? To kind of set up, the, there's a lot of notes today. So this is one of those, like, take out your phone and just even pretend for me. I mean, just do, do something here. What forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't excusing what they did. We don't explain away bad behavior, okay? It's not excusing what they did. Forgiveness isn't justifying what they did. 
It's not all you know, trying to convince ourselves that what they did was okay. It's not justifying what they did. Forgiveness isn't pardoning what they did, the removal of consequences, okay? It's not pardoning the consequences in the physical. I also wanna be careful here, though, of pardoning consequences because natural consequences do happen, for sure, but it's also not our job as Christians to create unnecessary consequences just because we're angry. And I think that we have fallen into the trap of that with society as well. Forgiveness isn't forgetting what they did. Sometimes people say, hey, the Bible says to forgive and forget. It does not. It does not. It says to forgive. We, we have literal physical brains, and sometimes it's just very impossible to forget things. You know, unless it's like the important things, and we forget those all the time. But <laughs> it's very impossible to forget things like this. But we need to forgive. Forgiveness isn't pretending you're not hurt. It's not putting on a mask. It's not pretending. It's not faith it till you make it kind of thing. It's just being real. I'm hurt. This hurt, how do I get through this pain and hurt? Forgiveness isn't blind reconciliation. Forgiveness can be reconciliation with the person who hurt you, but forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. That's where a lot of people get confused when it comes to this big call of God to forgive. They're thinking, my dad abandoned me. I don't necessarily think it's healthy for me to fight for reconciliation. I don't know. My husband abused me physically, whatever it might be. Someone raped me, these big things. The Bible, God is not saying, hey, I need you to go get that relationship back and reconcile it to what it was before. That is not what forgiveness is. What God is saying is forgiveness is between us and him way more than it is between us and the person. Forgiveness is saying, God, I am releasing judgment to you because you are the only righteous judge. I am not a righteous judge. I am a very unrighteous judge because the only lens I see through is the pain in which that person caused me. God is the righteous judge. So forgiveness isn't necessarily reconciling the relationship. It's giving the bitterness, rage, anger, and unforgiveness to God. Okay? You guys with me so far? All right. So here, here's, a, here's a few extra things. Why is forgiveness so important? So we're gonna go through this biblically. Why is forgiveness so important? Because bitterness and unforgiveness, number one, blocks intimacy with God. It blocks intimacy with God. What I'm about to read you is a very, you know, I mean, all of scripture is God breathed, I believe. God breathed because the Bible says it. Every, every scripture in the entire Bible is God's word. But there are some passages where it is so unbelievably impossible to ignore because of who's saying it in the context. What I'm about to read you is out of the mouth of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount while he's teaching the Lord's Prayer. I think that's a pretty intense part. Matthew 6, 12 through 15 says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I wanna pause right there. Okay, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How many of you guys have heard, even in like Hollywood movies, that part right there that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, right? You guys heard that before? What's interesting, I'm gonna show you with this next verse, that lead us not into temptation prayer is tucked between two scriptures in context where Jesus is teaching people how to forgive. And he's saying, if you don't forgive, if you don't forgive, you are amplifying the temptation in your life. So it's a very interesting when you view things in 
context. So then it says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I think that verse is probably in the top five hardest hitting verses in all of scripture. There have been theological debates over this for 2,000 years. In all of the major councils through church history, theologians are still debating it. What does this mean for the cross and redemption in Jesus? What does this mean for salvation? And people have debated it, but here's what we know. Jesus said it, and even if we don't know the exact meaning of it, it means something. And he was not messing around. Can we all agree on that? He was not messing around. If you're not forgiving, you're not being forgiven. And that is a very heavy scripture. Mark 11, 22 through 25 says this. This is also Jesus. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believe that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Anybody heard that verse before about mountains moving, right? It will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that if you, if, if you have received it, it will be yours. And when you stand praying, so Jesus is preaching about how you move mountains. And we think it's only having faith. It's the faith to move mountains, but we don't keep reading. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. What Jesus was saying is this. Many of us have mountains that we have prayed for years to move in our lives. And we have thought, it's my, I don't have enough faith. God isn't real. He doesn't care. But could it be that your mountain hasn't moved because we didn't read the next verse when Jesus said, when you stand there praying for the mountain to move, if you're holding anything against anyone, go make it right. Could it be that some of our mountains are hung up because of our own unforgiveness? It's powerful. Scripture in context is everything. Again, so number two, why is forgiveness so important? Because bitterness and unforgiveness, number two, poisons community. This is an obvious one, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about it for a minute. Poisons community, Hebrews 12, 14 through 15. Work at living in peace with who? Everyone. Look after each other so that no, none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. One person in a community of God that has the poisonous root of bitterness can corrupt many. And if you've been in church for very long, you have seen that happen. One negative, bitter, anger root in one person. They hold on to it. They choose not to forgive. They're standing still in their relationship with God because we cannot move forward with unforgiveness. And all of a sudden, that poison begins to spread. We've seen it happen over and over and over again. It's kind of like pollution. It keeps just polluting and polluting and polluting. The community of Christ is so important because it's how we demonstrate to the world that we do life differently. It's the upside down kingdom. We're showing people how to live as citizens of heaven here on earth, and this is the most important first step, learning how to forgive people. Number three, why is forgiveness so important? Because bitterness and unforgiveness facilitates the work of the enemy. Facilitates the work of the enemy. Satan is called multiple times in scripture the accuser 
of the saints or the accuser of the brethren. Jesus is the advocate, right? Satan is the accuser. And I've talked about this before in past sermons that, you know, my disdain for everything that has to do with cancel culture, I, I hate it. I believe that God hates it. I believe it's, it's satanic. I believe it's evil. I believe it is the antithesis of everything Jesus came, died for, and stood for in his, in his world. He came with his anthem of forgiveness and breaking chains, not to destroy people, but to rebuild people. It's the call of the church to reconcile. Satan is the accuser. But what I've seen so often, especially over the last three or four years, because everything was amplified during COVID and beyond in the pandemic, what I've seen is that Christians have taken on more of the characteristic of the enemy and accusation than the characteristics of Jesus with forgiveness. We love, I mean, there are people, I have seen Christians, the crave, crave destroying someone else's entire future because of hurt and pain that they've caused someone else or them. It doesn't excuse it. Like I said, what forgiveness isn't. It doesn't excuse the pain they've caused us. It's not denying the pain they've caused us. But in those moments, and what I have to ask myself when I am holding on to something is, who do I wanna look more like? Jesus or Satan? I thank God every day that Jesus, if you look at this as a courtroom, is not the prosecution. He's not the prosecution. He is my attorney. He is the one advocating for me, saying, no, 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 they're innocent. We can't hold on to it. We've got to let it go. Number four, it sabotages our destiny. Bitterness and unforgiveness sabotage our destiny. The biblical example of this quickly is King Saul in the Old Testament. David is the new anointed king. But nowhere does it say that David has to become king right that second. He's just the future anointed king. Saul had every opportunity. God eventually moves on from King Saul. But what you see with King Saul is that same image of holding on to the thing that would end up being his demise. Unforgiveness, jealousy, anger, and rage. The Bible says that he literally would throw spears at David as David was serving him in the palace. He hunted David like David was an animal. All over the known world at the time, David is running and Saul is filled. His entire life and identity was about hunting down the one who would one day replace him. And it ended up leading to his demise. It sabotages our destiny. King Saul was the first king of Israel. The possibilities were endless, but it led to his demise. Number five, it enslaves us and others. Bitterness and anger and unforgiveness enslave us and others. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27 says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. I wanna focus right here on 27. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. That foothold terminology in the Greek is actually the Greek word tapos, and it's where we get the English word topography. So what it's saying is our anger is giving a topographical view and an advantage to the enemy on all of the weak points in our lives, our weaknesses, the doors we've left open in our lives to attack, to destroy, to drop bombs of temptation in our lives. When we give him a foothold, we are giving him the advantage. And that's what unforgiveness is. I've got too many things going on in my life to give Satan one more advantage. I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna be like, no, I don't trust God. I am letting things go. 
man, there have been people that have hurt me deeply. Oh my gosh, deeply. But you, it's a discipline to learn how to just be angry. Ah, whatever you've got to do. Get in your prayer closet, literal closet. Shut yourself in a car. Like, ah, but I'm not going to let this destroy me. God, lift it off my shoulders. I want peace. I want stability. I want fulfillment in my life. I am not giving Satan a stronghold and an advantage in my life. But then we get to this place where I, I agree with all that. But man, how do I forgive? It is so easy. You're probably thinking for the pastor to stand on stage and say, God said you forgive. It's not easy. And it is not easy for your pastor. Forgiveness goes against everything in our human nature. It's not easy, but it's necessary, and the Bible does teach us how. Number one, how do we forgive? We need to recognize, the word is recognize, the ways I've been wronged. We need to recognize exactly how we've been wronged. You know, it's interesting. If we don't do this, you might be thinking, well, that's interesting. Why would you say we need to focus on how we've been wronged? Because what we have a tendency to do is to exaggerate how we've been wronged. I'll, I'll meet with people sometimes and I'll go, so what happened? What did, they, what did they do? Well, they did blah, 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 blah. And then I kind of do some investigation and I come back and I'm like, what, what, what did they do again? Well, I mean, you know, they didn't technically, they didn't say that. I, just, I felt like they were saying that with their facial expression. And I'm like, <laughs> you got me involved based on facial expressions? But this is, this is what we do. This is what we do. So we have to recognize how we've actually been wronged and we need to not use, and I'll, I'll, I'll steal advice from my counselor, we need to not use the words always and never. Well, they always, they never. Well, that church always, nope, I already know it's not true. That church never, nope, I already know you're lying, exaggerating. Well, they never, nope, I already know that's not true. Every time we say always and never, we are exaggerating what actually happened whether we're in marriage, a friendship, relationship with people in church, work, wherever we are, don't use the words always and never because they are never true and you will always be wrong. I just did. Okay, so <laughs> Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. It's interesting. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. You want to know what you look at this when it says make allowance? You want to know what that's saying? Plan for it. Plan for it. It's not like you have to be like Debbie Downer and go, people are going to hurt me today. But you just kind of go, you know what? They're human, they're human, they're human. They're probably going to hurt me today. Somehow. So I'm planning for it. Yeah, again, it's not, it's not becoming a pessimist, so be careful. But it's just saying, I'm making allowance. I am making margin for people to be people. And, and I'm not going to be a slave to every whim of every word and facial expression and text that doesn't have a smiley face emoji and somebody that doesn't message me back or whatever it might be. We, we have to be stronger than that. You guys still with me? And then it says, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Clothe yourselves. Now, this is a great um, wording, too, because clothing yourselves becomes, you know, that's a discipline we learn over time. 
We don't just come out of the womb going, all right, I like that outfit and I can clothe myself. That's why when you have kids, you're kind of looking forward to the day your kids are self-sufficient. What you mean by that is they don't make a wreck while they're eating. They do that so in their teenage years, but they, and they can kind of, they can put clothes on by themselves. You don't always have to get them completely ready, but it is a learned discipline to clothe yourselves. Um, my son Asher, though, is 13, and he's awesome. He's awesome. But he's a little ADD, just like his dad. And, I, um, and, and so, I mean, I remember him being eight, nine, 10 years old, and he can clothe himself. But what happens is sometimes, I remember this one time very specifically, he comes down the stairs, and his shorts, button zip shorts, are on backwards. And I went, Asher, your pockets, what? your shorts are on backwards. Oh, I know. I just put them on. I didn't want to take them back off and put them back on again. And he's just like putting his backpack on and going to school. And I'm like, Asher, no, 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 no. Go in the bathroom and change. So yes, even, even though sometimes we are mature enough to clothe ourselves in humility and forgiveness, sometimes we still need the help of people around us to go, your shorts are on backwards. I, you, you, you know, I, I know we know how to clothe ourselves, but you've got to let this thing go, man. You can't go to school with your shorts on backwards. You can't keep living your Christian life holding on to this bitterness, this bitterness. Number two, how do we forgive? We need to remember. So number one is recognize. Number two is remember. And what do we remember? Remember first, not what they have done to me, but what God has done for me. What we remember first is not what they have done to me, but what God has done for me. This is, this is not easy. This is not easy. This is not Christianity 101. This is the next step, but this is where we all grow into. This is, that, this is that step where we say, okay, when someone hurts me, I love that the Bible is real because it says, don't sin in your anger. There is allowance for the emotion of anger, but when we feel anger, sin is what we do with the emo emotional response, right? So this is so important because we remember first what God has done for us. Now, this is the easiest way to, to, to say this. When someone has deeply hurt you, the thing you do in order, again, you're not excusing it, you're not denying it, whatever. But the first thing you need to do is think, what is the worst thing I have done in the darkest moments, the secret places, the things that no one knows about, that holding on to this anger and resentment would make me the biggest hypocrite in the world. Because Jesus came to forgive me of not just the things that I've told other people, but the things I've never told anyone. And when we remember that, my first thought is, how dare I hold on to what they did to me? If Jesus has let go of what I did to him, I have to let go of what they did to me. I have to. And this is how we change into the image of Christ, and that's painful. Growing into the image of Christ is not easy, but growth always comes out of pain. It's a painful process of becoming more like Jesus. Um, I, I wanna give you a, a quick, I wanna show you something, and I, I, need, to, I need to wrap up really quick, but um, we, we've gone to New York a few times with our family on vacation. Our kids love New York, and when you're walking in Times Square, different cities, there's always these caricature artists. Has anybody ever had a caricature done of yourself? It's very humbling, <laughs> very humbling. Why? Because a caricature artist will look at you and think, what's their worst physical trait? And I am going to make that the best biggest, weirdest thing on, on this caricature. That's why I've never done one, because I already know my forehead would be huge. <laughs> I already know. 
my head would look like a hot air balloon and my forehead would be huge. So I don't even get a caricature. But I, I wanna show you a few famous people, caricatures of a few famous people. The first one is uh, Mark Wahlberg. I wanna, I wanna show you this. See, that's kinda look at what mine would look like, right? I mean, this, that, that's messed up. He's a huge forehead. Another one, The Rock. It's horrible, horrible. Uh, okay, Julia Roberts, she's a beautiful person. What? This is what they do though. They look at someone and go, what are a couple characteristics that I can exaggerate to make this pretty person hideous, right? And let's look, let's look at another one, Lady Gaga. Well, that one kind of looks normal. Okay, so I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Exaggerated, exaggerated features, right? But this is, what's so, this is what's so powerful about this. We look at this and go, those artists are messed up. We're just as messed up. Because when we hold on to unforgiveness and we don't let things go, what we are doing is we become the caricature artist that is taking a feature, a weak moment that someone had, and we exaggerate their weakest moment, their weakest feature, and completely distort who they really are, who God designed them to be. And we're holding on to a false image of who they really are because our only vantage point is what they did to me. We become these caricature artists. We take a feature, a moment, a weakness, exaggerate it. And I thank God that's not what he does with me. He doesn't. 1 Corinthians 13, four through five says, love is patient. This is a very famous passage that people read at weddings. It's okay to read them at weddings, but this is actually about community in Christ in the church relationships. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and here it is, ready? It keeps how many records of wrongs? I wish that said four, you know? Like, God, just give me a handful, you know? It says no record of wrongs. It is the human nature to keep a record. We keep a record and that person better make it right. But the truth is that person can never make it right. If they tell you they're sorry, beg for forgiveness. Someone that keeps a record will still keep a record. The only way to move through life with ease, true joy, fulfillment, and peace is to learn the art and discipline of forgiveness. And number three, how do we do it? We release. We release. We have to give up the desire for them to get what's coming. We release. Oh, that's hard. That is so hard to release because we're giving up control. And that's the other part of forgiveness that's so hard is we're control freaks, all of us to an extent. I, if, I don't, if I let them go, they're gonna walk off free. If I, uh, if I don't hold on to this, they're, they're, no one will ever know. They're just gonna walk free? They already are. They already are. And that's the whole point of Christianity anyways, because you're walking free and you don't deserve it. I am walking free without any bondage and nothing being held over my head because of what Jesus has done for me and because I have received him as my savior. I cannot do it to others. We have to release. The fear that they won't get punished is the opposite of perfect love. First John four eighteen says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear 
because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This is fascinating because it says fear is tied to punishment. When we crave punishment for someone, we're afraid. And and there's no such thing as perfect love and fear coexisting. This passage is not so much talking about feeling afraid, it's the fear of releasing someone. And that's not perfect love, that's not growing in Christ-likeness. Romans 12, 19 says, never avenge yourselves, but leave the way open for God's wrath and his judicial righteousness. For it is written in scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, but the truth is we love vengeance and revenge. All of my favorite movies are revenge movies. I guess I have a problem. (laughs) We love revenge. Get them, get them, get them. And when it happens to us, we wanna do the same thing. We love revenge, but we just can't do it. We have to offer mercy and we have to offer grace. The difference between grace and mercy is this. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, favor, okay? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve, justice. Jesus has given us both. Therefore, we extend both. The person will get what they don't deserve, favor, freedom, from us at least. God is the righteous judge and he's in charge. If they don't make things right with God, that's on them. But we also extend mercy and it's mercy is not getting what we do deserve. We don't crave punishment for the other person. Yes, there are consequences. I'm not talking about if something illegal happens and I'm not saying don't call the police. What I'm saying is do what's necessary, but don't go beyond what Jesus would do in that situation. We don't crave punishment, but we accept consequences. There are things, there are consequences to people's actions in our lives when they hurt us. I wanna be careful with that and tell you, it's not just saying, all right, you know, do whatever, go free. When people have broken the law, sure. I wrote this down. Forgiveness is achieved when there is no desire to get even or to punish the offender. The desire's gone. Can they still receive punishment from law enforcement? Sure, if if it requires that. One day, could they receive punishment from God? Sure, if they don't make things right with God through Jesus. But it's just not my job. That's forgiveness. It's just not my job. I don't sit on the throne as the righteous judge. I will not live this life bound with the heaviness of bitterness. If you want peace, Jesus tells you how to have it. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, if unforgiveness is burdening you, give it to him. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. He wants to carry the weight that you were never designed to carry. Before I pray, I wanna turn our service back over to our leadership there in Maui, and I want you guys to end the service there how you guys see fit. And today, what we're gonna do, we did this a few months ago, I'm gonna pray, but we're also gonna open up our youth auditorium, which is out our main doors and to the left. Our prayer team and prayer counselors are ready, and I know that a sermon like this is a little bit heavier and people are leaving and it's hard to just get in the car and go to lunch. And we wanna make it available to you with our prayer team if you just wanna have a conversation 
If there's some, yeah, I agree with what Dustin was saying, but what about, yeah, but can you confirm? I've got questions. All those are fine. We, I love questions. We wanna pray with you. If that's you, but you just know I need freedom from this, when I get done, we would love for you just to, as we dismiss, for you to head out those doors, head to the left in our youth auditorium, and you can stay for as long as you like as the next service comes in. But I wanna pray over all of us today, and I just want us to remember this message. It's so important, and that's why it deserved to stand alone today. Forgive, release, and watch the difference it makes in your life. The joy, the fulfillment, and the peace. Was this encouraging to you guys today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for every person here. And God, I just, first of all, thank you for sending your son to die for us on a cross. Jesus, we thank you for giving the unforgivable in us so that we can now forgive the unforgivable in others. We release the punishment to you. We release the heaviness to you, the burden, the bitterness, the anger, the rage, the unforgiveness. It's yours. Today, I'm walking out of the cell I put myself in and I will walk free because I am releasing this to you. Transform us, forgive us, strengthen us and be with us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen.